How are y'all doing this morning? I mean, even if you're sitting in the sun, I don't feel like it's that bad. Now, talk to me in like 15 minutes and we'll see how I feel about what I just said, but not too bad out here, right? Uh, I'm Jeremiah, one of the pastors here at Calvary, and I just want to say, first off, thanks for being here. Of all the choices you could have made and places you could have been, I think it's really an honor that you would have chosen to be here in this place with us. Uh, Just, yeah, just really neat. We're going to be continuing our series this week, Being the Countercultural Church, where we're taking a look at the letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He actually writes a couple of letters, and we've been spending a lot of our time in in the first letter. And so actually the first thing that I want to do is I want us to take a second and really get a sense for, for what's happening here, because I think when we read out of a text, what might get lost is that even though we say it's a letter, it's part of a book that we read from, and we kind of forget that it's a letter. So even though we say it, we kind of forget the idea that Paul has a relationship with these people, and he's writing to encourage, to teach these people. And these people are reading this letter. They're awaiting a response to the letter that they would have sent. And I imagine that if you had a letter written by someone in your life who means the world to you, and they just wrote a letter to you with with all sorts of details about why they care about you, all the, the connection points, all of that stuff, you would want to cherish that letter in its entirety. But depending on your age and stage in life, it might be that certain parts of that letter mean more to you. It might be that certain sections of that letter are very meaningful, while others just at this point and moment mean a little bit less. And so I would encourage you this week, as we go about our weeks, take some time and read the whole letter to the Corinthians. I think it's helpful for us to see everything in its entirety, and I would be interested to know, and feel free to reach out, what sticks out to you from that letter when you read everything together. Now, I'm telling you to do that, and I'm literally going to do kind of the opposite of that. I'm going to be taking a look at a particular section in the letter. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But because it's a letter, and we can imagine that this letter was being read to those present, right? Because not everyone in that day could read it. I want to encourage you that as I read from 1 Corinthians 8, feel free to just close your eyes and listen. You can read along. That would be absolutely fine. Well, but feel free to just listen. It says, now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to the idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. 
But food does not bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Or if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. Now, once again, I think it'd be interesting to hear kind of what resonates and sticks out to you. But there are a few things that I would like to spend some time dwelling on and thinking on this morning, some things that stuck out to me. So the first thing is the idea that Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And I think it's really helpful for us to get a sense of what it looks like to puff up. So the idea of puffing up, right? It's like a balloon. Knowledge expands like a balloon, whereas love builds up. Now, I think this is interesting for us to to dwell on for a little bit. Why is knowledge puffing up? What's it doing when it does that? Well, I think what it's doing is it's trying to copy the thing that it's supposed to be. That is, knowledge for its own sake and by itself is essentially like kind of piling up information so that it kind of looks like a building. Now, we might be sitting here saying, well, if knowledge puffs up like that and love builds up, well, then why would we ever mistake knowledge? Why would we ever find ourselves in that, in that place of mistaking knowledge in that way? And I would say it's actually a little bit more deceiving than that. Imagine that knowledge puffs up, and it's not a balloon like this, but it's a balloon shaped like a brick, right? It would appear as if you could build a building from it, because knowledge is trying to mimic what love really only offers. It puffs up while love builds up. But I kept thinking about this idea of building, and I couldn't get out of my head the story of the three little pigs. We have three children, young children. So it makes sense that I have the story of the three little pigs in my head. I assure you that I'm not always thinking about that. I can't get my mind off of this idea. The first pig built the house out of straw, and it seemed fine. It looked like a house. But when the wolf came along and and huffed and puffed, the straw blows away. And the second little pig does the same thing with sticks, right? Wolf comes along, blows it away. But the third builds a house out of bricks. And no matter how hard the wolf tries, look at me, I'm telling you all this story right now. No matter how hard the wolf tries, he can't blow it away. Knowledge is like building a house out of balloons. It looks pretty cool, but when the air leaks out or when the winds blow, what are you going to do? But love is like building your house out of bricks. There's an integrity There's an inside matching the outside. Knowledge has the appearance on the outside, but there's no inside integrity. There's no matching. And so all it can ever do is mimic. And when we put knowledge on a pedestal, what happens is we kind of just stack it onto the pile 
and just add our knowledge to it. It's really just a pile of information. Knowledge is informational. Love is about connection. I don't just want a pile of something to act like it's a structure in which I can find safety. I actually want the structure to have safety. I need that to be the case. Love builds a structure of safety. Knowledge is just a pile of comparison. It's informational, it's connectional, versus connectional. Now, the second thing then that I think is is very interesting in this letter is that Paul goes on to kind of elaborate about kind of in response to the letter that the Corinthians must have written, as we kind of get this sense, right? Like, why is he talking about food sacrifice to idols? Well, they probably asked about it or brought it up, right? It came up somehow. And and he's talking in response to them, and he says, you know, you're exactly right. That food, that idol means nothing. We know there's only one God. You are exactly right. You're right. But then he goes on to say, but the issue is is less about that. Because you might know right now, but there are other people who don't. And so it becomes less about whether we're right and more about the connection to the people. And we even see Paul at the end of chapter 8 say, I'll never eat meat again because he wants to connect to the people. It's about connection. That's the difference that love will make. It is not a pile of of random things looking like bricks. It actually builds a structure of safety because it is focused on connection and togetherness. And the thing is, these people have built in other ways in their life uh, kind of root systems that have been torn out by what Christianity is offering. It's offering this sense of, this very real sense of, hey, things are different. There's this sense that Paul's trying to get across that, Corinth, you've really highlighted and celebrated your individualness, but it's not about doing this alone. It's about doing this together. If connection is the point, you don't get to do it alone at least not always and only. You'll have to do it together. But he's saying to the people in Corinth, hey, you're right, but they don't know. So how are we making adjustments to meet them in the they don't know? Because if you you think about like a Band-Aid that you've left on for too long, right? So kind of Corinth was like, like covered in these band-aids that was like really good adhesive and you've left it on for too long and it's like sticking to your arm hairs and you've got to pull it off, right? And so when you pull it off, it's like really painful and you're afraid of like pulling off the band-aid because of the arm hair pain that you'll experience, right? So imagine these people are struggling in this way. It's like, okay, 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 I get it intellectually. I know the knowledge, but I'm having trouble because it actually hurts to pull it off. Or if you're somebody who's tried to remove a tree from your yard, I mean, you can cut it off at the stump, but if you try and dig out that stump, you've got a whole big root system that's messing up a whole lot of different things, right? You can see the tree, but the root system is, is deeper and, and it's tougher. So it's, it's like that. They're struggling in that way. Why? Because remember, knowledge is trying to look like it should, and they can't shake it. They can't shake away from it. So even though church in Corinth, you're right, 
You're exactly right. They can't shake away. And Paul says, that is a sin against Jesus when we fail to acknowledge and meet them in that way. Not even just a sin against them. It's a sin against Jesus when we fail to acknowledge that. Because connection doesn't happen alone. It doesn't happen alone. The story of the Old Testament is one of a people group, not a person so much. We read about persons, but it's a people. Paul is getting this idea across that it's not just one or the other, it's both and. It's both and. Connection isn't done alone. Now, um, I feel like a really good example of where I can see this, this whole knowledge trying to be something that it's not is um, there are very rare occasions, uh, and I'm going to speak about my marriage. Actually, you could apply this to any sort of relationship, so I don't mean to frustrate anyone by speaking out of my marriage, but you could say with your friendship or with your family, but here's the deal. There's rare occasions in my marriage um, when I'm right. And on those rare occasions, I am often tempted, because they're so rare, to make sure that my wife knows that I'm right. But if you, like me, have attempted to do that at the wrong time, you're a whole lot more wrong. And that whole right thing, eh, it doesn't really matter anymore. And we become disconnected because I'm trying to show that I'm right when the point was connection. It's not about whether or not I'm right. It happens rarely. It does happen. But the whole point and purpose is connection. This is true with our friends and relationships that they've been in and out of and in and out of and in and out of, right? You're having a conversation with them. You might be right, but the timing might not be there. This could happen with your kids. You, you're literally three times their age. You definitely have more knowledge. That's not a question. You're right, but timing isn't on our side. And their friend says the exact same bit of information that you said, and all of a sudden they listen to it as if it's the, just the best thing they've ever heard. And you as a parent are like, are you serious right now? I just said that to you. I literally, in the presence of your friend, just said that to you. They said the same thing, and now all of a sudden it's cool. It's timing. It's timing. Teachers out there, you know what I'm talking about. How many times have I said the same thing over and over? The 11th time, sometimes I would count. That was a low point in my teaching career. I would count, and I would say, okay, this is number 10. Not healthy. Anyway, it's because timing isn't on our side. There's so many other things playing into this. But the point is, information will try and convince us that it's the only thing playing here, and it's not. Love is about connection, and connection does not happen alone. But then it gets to the, the difficult part. It's not only countercultural for Corinth to hear that it doesn't happen alone. I believe it's also countercultural for them to hear that they will need to give up certain things for it to happen. We see Paul say, I won't ever eat meat again. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I love bacon. Bacon is a meat, and it is included 
And that is difficult for me. And maybe you, like me, have something like that, right? So this is what I, I really think Paul is trying to encourage here. Corinth, you're exactly right. But connection is the point and the goal. We have to do this together. It will involve some compromise. Connection happens through compromise. Now, we live, I believe, in a culture that doesn't like that word, has a very negative connotation. But if we look at the kind of the roots of the word itself, co means together. So compassion, you know, suffering together. Co means together. Promise is like an agreement. Compromise is just promising together. When we want to connect to people, we have to actually probably sit down and talk about the promises we're going to make together and how we're both together going to keep our promises. If connection is the goal, that's what we'll need to do. And so Paul is saying, you know, I promise never to eat this again because I would prefer to be together as opposed to being right and, and having this meet. I would prefer to be together because that's the narrative that we see, not just in this letter, but I promise you it's one of the strands of spaghetti that runs throughout the whole text, the whole Bible. It's unity, and I believe it comes through, through compromise or sacrifice. And so, wrapping up some of these thoughts, I want us to consider this. Knowledge by itself is doing everything that it can to look like love, but it just, it's not going to do it. Love is really something that we see through connection, right? It encourages connection to each other. And actually, I very much believe connection to God and each other, both of those things. And Paul is talking about this idea that Corinth, you're pretty good at the by yourself. We need to work on the together. Because for those of you who have heard something like this, I think this will be familiar for those of you who haven't, we believe that God is both one and three, both individual and a community. And so in our lives, when we're only individual, we're missing the community. And when we're only community, we're missing the individual. So what we're not talking about is this compromise where you lose all of your individuality. I think that's the beauty of what Paul is trying to talk about. You, you're exactly right in your individualness but the sake is connection. Knowledge becomes a tool for war. Love is a tool that involves sacrifice. Knowledge can become a tool for war when it's left on its own. We weaponize it and we say, my, my stack is bigger than yours. Your stack is smaller than mine. And when we do that, we crush the relationships and we end up just throwing those people on our stack. And then we're surprised, perhaps, like I am, <laughs> when, I, when I just totally use my knowledge at the wrong time. I, it's my bad. Now, having, having said all these things, I need you to know this about me. I would very much, please, hear, hear this well, I would prefer to do this like, in conversation where we could talk back and forth. Now, I understand that logistically right now, we're not going to do that, and I would never do that. I get it. That would be super awkward. Like, you didn't come here for that. So I'm going to imagine questions that you might be having in your head and just address a few of them. 
based on some of the things that I've said, okay? Maybe some, some ways to clarify. So I would imagine these might be things that you're wrestling with um, in your mind. The first is this. You know, Jeremiah, you're really, you're really attacking knowledge, man. And uh, there's some really helpful knowledge. There's some helpful information. And I would say, yeah, it's, it's a good point. I want to clarify. It's really the misuse of knowledge that I'm aiming at. So for those of you who are wrestling with, isn't some information good? Absolutely. The purpose of that information is connective, though. If we're misusing the knowledge, we're not getting to the love, the building, the connecting. We're not getting there. Lovingly, social media is designed in such a way as to weaponize knowledge. I know it's called social, but you and I both know. Some of y'all about ready to get off of it because you hate some of those social interactions you're having. Because it's not really about going back and forth in a good, healthy way. It's about weaponizing. It's about saying, look what I know that you don't. And I feel like I want you to know that. And I would just lovingly encourage myself and all of us together, just meet that person in person or on Zoom if if that's what you're comfortable with. There are other ways to connect. I think it would be helpful for us to take a step back and say, hey, are we weaponizing our information here? Yes, it can be social. Yes, it can be good. But are we misusing that? So something to think about there, if that was your question. But Maybe your question, uh, I get asked this question a lot, which is very interesting to me, and that's, that's totally fine. Um, basically, people say, hey, man, I'm doing these things. I'm doing this, 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 and this. Am I good? Am I good, like, with, you know, with the thing you're talking about? Am I all right? And I would actually respond with, with a question that you can ask yourself, and really only you can answer yourself. Are you seeking to connect or are you seeking to divide and separate and pile? Is what you're doing for the purpose of connecting? Then I would say you're good. But if it's for the sake of disconnecting and separating, I would say, well, that's something we might want to talk about a little bit more. But thankfully, that question would come in the context of, of a us discussion, right? Not uh, me sitting right up here and expecting you to, okay. So that's the next question. But then I think probably the biggest question I've been wrestling with personally um, is this question. Jeremiah, you talked about this whole compromise thing, co-promise, promise together. I'm doing my promises, but they're not doing theirs. We were supposed to promise together. They stopped doing their side. What do I do? I promised together. I said I would do this with you. You are making moves to suggest you don't want to do this with me. And that's when I would say, in that moment, when you ask that question, we might get some sense of how God felt in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Because this is what we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it, so to do some work. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of good and evil, oh, I'm sorry, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat, you will die. You will surely die. Knowledge isn't the demon. But I believe that in the garden, we chose a pile of more information instead of a connection to the God who made it. Even if he only gave two trees to the one we weren't supposed to eat from, seriously, we have two. Why are you going to one? I think what we see in this is that they have chosen information and stacking and weaponizing, and they have not chosen connection. But I get it. Because to choose to connect is to choose to miss out. And that means that there's some mystery. There's something I won't know. And God is saying in the garden, choose me. Embrace the mystery. Because it's about being connected to me. It's about being connected to me. And so to hear Paul saying, y'all, you're going to have to miss out because it's about being connected. How long will we have to miss out? Well, Paul says, I won't eat it ever again for the sake of connection. I won't eat it ever again. Now, the reality is, we will always find ourselves in a place, some of us more than others, myself, goodness gracious, where we're breaking our promises. I, I believe that. And it could be a small promise that you broke. I'm not talking it has to be this big, huge thing. I'm just saying, we're going to find ourselves one day where we broke a promise, where we're the ones who aren't co-promising, compromising together, right? We're not doing this together. Praise the God of all heaven and earth, that he's the God who keeps his promises. He's the God who keeps his side of the story true. And what we'll see, another strand of spaghetti that runs through the text, as we will see that God is keeping his promise and keeping his promise, and man, are they going against it. Man, are they going against the promises. But God says, no, I keep it. And then we get to a place in the text where God arrives in person to show us that he keeps his promises and suffers alongside of the people in that time to show he keeps his promises. Why? Because he wants to be connected to us and to choose to weave our root system in with his is quite possibly the most life-giving choice we will make. But Calvary, I promise you, you will miss out on some things when you do that. You will miss out. If you got FOMO, fear of missing out, that's something you need to take to God. God, I got some real bad fear of missing out, FOMO. Because God actually, I believe, says, you will but he's the creator of everything. 
and the writer of better stories than we could ever have imagined. Just ask anyone who has seen the work that God has done in their narrative. He is the writer of the most beautiful, creative stories we could ever imagine. And all he asks is that we connect to him. All he says is, would you enter into this co-promising? And what we see is at the end of his life here on earth, he sacrifices. He says, if I need to die so that we might be connected, it's worth it. And he does that. So, a few things, because I said a lot, a few things for us to think about going forward this week, Calvary. I would encourage you, like I said, read the whole letter. I think when you get to chapter 13, you're going to find that based on the things leading up to it, it is such an impactful set of words. It means a ton in a wedding ceremony. It's so cool. Read the whole letter. And imagine if we did that at a wedding ceremony. They'd be too long. I get it. We wouldn't do that. But just read the whole letter this week. And I want to remind you of a few things. Love sacrifices status and rights to connect. You might be exactly right. But I think what we see from Paul is the point is to connect. They just might not know. Timing is not here. We'll need to wait. We love by seeking to understand so that we can connect. Don't be walking around trying to get more information that you're throwing on your stack. You're getting more information so you can connect. Don't be growing it so you can say, oh, I know this. That's not what it is. That's not how it works. That's not going to be healthy. We've got to make sure we're trying to connect. Love asks genuinely curious questions. You actually want to know the answers to the questions you're asking. That's what love does. It listens well by sometimes shutting our mouths. And then love came down to be with us. Because the God of all creation, the God of heaven and earth, longs to be connected to us. Calvary trusts the story by embracing the mystery for the sake of of connection to God. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for who you are, for all the things that you've done to show us just how much you long to be connected to us. God, I pray that you fill in the, the gaps of mystery that we, I think, all struggle with, Lord. Meet us in that mystery. Help us to take that step to trust you, to trust your story one that is uniting us together under the umbrella of love, Lord, that you have set out for us. God, we thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.